Hey. Hi. Uh, my name is Chris Hilkin. I'm from Bakersfield. Uh, I was born in Indiana, then lived for 10 years in Oklahoma, and then I lived in Bakersfield for 12 years, which is why I will die of lung cancer sometime soon. If you want to find out who's from Bakersfield, they're the ones walking around camp like this. Mm, this is nice. What do y'all call this flavor? Clean? Is this? Just don't. One time I was teaching at Hume Lake and I said I was from Bakersfield and this whole group of people mooed at me like a cow. And like I, I feel like there's a line and I feel like that, you know what I mean? That's too far. Uh, I have five kids. That's a lot, right? Uh, Peyton, Harper, Brady, Leo, and Finley. The oldest is seven. The youngest is nine months. Uh, you'll see them around. Feel free to grab one. I feel like I have too many. Uh, but they'll love you. My son named, I have a son named Brady. He's got glasses on. He's like the mascot of my family. And uh, he will come up and give you a hug. He doesn't know any strangers. Um, he might slap you on the butt. That's not like a, that's not good. I'm trying to stop that, but I'm not a great dad. I just try hard, you know? Uh, today we're going to be in the book of Jonah. <clears throat> you guys should already kind of be there because he told you to put the bookmark in if you're listening to Harrison. But um, uh, before we even start anything, I want to make a couple commitments with you and then I'm going to ask you to make a couple with me. Because uh, maybe you have some pet peeves in your life, you know? I don't know what your pet peeves might be. Like when someone doesn't know how to shake hands as a pet peeve, what's your name? Jared, Jared come here real quick. Shake my hand. Okay, when someone like go, you know what I mean? When like you go to have a nice, powerful, come on, you can come back up here. I want to do it again. You want to like, you know, like your little web, your little like, just stand there. J don't move. Golly. That's what he, so like your little like thumb web here, you want to get like a good web to web handshake like that. But then the other person's committed to like putting a dead fish in your hand and they're like, mm -hmm, pleasure. And you're like, is this like the 1440s? What are you, the queen? Um, pet peeves. One of my pet peeves though that I want to commit with you is <clears throat> I feel like at your age, as high schoolers, maybe sometimes you don't get treated to the capacity like your brain's ready for. And here's what I mean by that. What I mean by that is this, like y'all are like adults and you can get junk and you can understand hard things. And I'm going to, I'm going to teach to you with no, with no coding, with, at, I'm going to offend you. I promise I'm going to offend you because the gospel's offensive. Anytime you teach the gospel properly, it should start by offending you. It should, it should offend the very core of who we are. I don't really, f I feel like one of the hardest times I had growing up in Sunday school or whatever I was doing is if the person sitting in front of me knew information and they understood things, but because they were afraid of how I was gonna respond to it, they wouldn't just give me the facts. Almost like a doctor who sees that you have cancer and instead of just telling you this so you can start the remedy for it, they instead sugarcoat something. I'm just, I'm not gonna do that. That's my commitment to you. My second commitment to you is that everything I want to I teach, I want, I want to come directly from Scripture. I don't, 
I don't, I, I don't want you to have the gospel according to Chris. I want you to have the gospel according to Christ. So I want to base everything that I'm talking in the scriptures. And here's the commitments I'm going to ask for from you. Number one is to lean into the conversation, okay? I grew up going to Hume Lake winter camp, and you're going to play broom hockey, and you're going to do your thing. And I totally get it. And then it's like warm in here, and there's like that hum of like the furnace, and you're with your friends. And then there's like uh, Cynthia, who you met on the bus ride up, sitting next to you. That's like an older name, isn't it? I, I can't think of a single younger person's name right now. I'm having like anomia. Jessica? I feel like that's still like mid-30s. Gretchen? No. <laughs> Amelia. I guess that's younger. What's your name? What? Keely? That's a cool name. What's Keely mean? You don't know what your name means? It's just a noise people make when they want your attention. Keely, that's my noise. Someone said my noise. Who's, who wants me from my noise? What's your name? Ellie? That's the perfect name. Ellie. Ellie. Okay. So you drove up next to Ellie, and so you're like, well, I, well, you know, we, you know, and you have like that, you're you like a high school relationship. How many of you guys are in a, presently in like a really, uh, like, serious relationship? Jesus. Hey, at least, <laughs> at least you're self-aware. Good, good, good. I am, guys, I'm sure, if you're in a high school relationship, the statistics show you will grow up and get married, so I'm not trying to like, you are going to, can I see this bag right here? Is this yours? Yeah. You're a Liberty Patriot? Nice, nice. Uh, it's, a, it's a high school in Bakersfield. Any of you guys go to... No, 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 stop. Any of you guys go to Stockdale? Get out of here! Get out! Whatever. I'm a Mustang. Okay. So the commitment that I'm asking for from you is um, to lead into the conversation. And here's another thing. I'll be walking around, I'll be hanging out. If something does offend you, or if something doesn't sit right with you, I'm gonna ask you to, to temper that, and then any pushback you have, I'm gonna ask that it also comes from scripture. You've grown up your whole life being told over and over and over again, especially as Americanized high, schools, high school students, as Christians, that the way that you perceive yourself is of ultimate importance. That what you think about God can somehow, in some way, affect his character. C.S. Lewis has this great way of putting it. He says, like, I can't change the character of God any more than me writing the word darkness on the wall can change the light in a room. I can qualify it, I can name it. You can walk up to a lemon tree and write the word orange on it, but it doesn't change the fact of what's going on. And as American Christians, we do this all the time. And so a lot of the pushback I get is I'll say something offensive and a student will come up and go, they'll go, well, I just don't think that. And it's like, friend, I'm not trying to be rude to you, but who cares what you think? You know what I mean? Like here's, 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 here's the 
pattern I want you to go through when you start. Once you create a universe, then you get to call the shots. But the book that we're gonna be reading in the middle of this, it's, it's, this isn't like something that someone, a hoax that someone made up. It's not a group of people who got together and thought of something. One of my jobs is I'm an apologist. That doesn't mean I say I'm sorry to everyone. It means that I defend the Christian faith, okay? So I go to conferences and I uh, speak in lecture halls and I go to local colleges and I uh, talk against um, f philosophy professors and philosophy of religion professors and I prove God's existence. That's like part of my job. And so when you walk up to me and you say a phrase like, I just don't feel like, or I wouldn't, I, I don't, my God doesn't, it's like he, he, he is not going to form into what you think he is. And so that's a commitment I wanna make. I wanna come from scripture. I wanna tell you offensive things because I think you can handle it. Because at the end of this weekend, I'm gonna ask you to make a decision. A big decision, it's not your mom's decision, it's not your dad's decision, it's not your guardian's decision, it's not your friend's decision, it's not decision by osmosis or, de or decision by group of people, it's not decision by church, it's individualistic. But the worst thing I could ever do is call for you to make a decision without giving you all the facts. No one wants that. But the facts include things that are really offensive. And I think you can walk out of this weekend saying I've chosen not to follow Jesus. I've chosen to do something with Jesus and it's to reject him. But I'm asking you to commit to the fact that you already spent money to come up here or someone spent money for you to come up here and you might think it was because of Trisha next to you, is that another old name, right? Because of Samantha next to you or whatever, <laughs> Samantha. Because of someone, but it's not. That's not why you're here. And I'm just asking you, one, one billion people on planet Earth follow Jesus. When you look at your clock on your iPhone and it says the year's 2022, there's a time marker that happened 2022 years ago. It's when Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this, this, this insignificant, unattractive, five foot three, Middle Eastern carpenter spent three years of his life, three years out of 33 years of his life, the book of Isaiah says he's not a man that anyone would esteem him. He was not of high stature. He said you would, if you looked at Jesus, you would think he was unattractive. He, 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 there was nothing, it said there's nothing that would attract this to him. And yet for only three years, this guy in his life, in his ministry, his death and his resurrection changed everything. What's your name? Right here. Very loud, Bryce. You guys heard that in the back? Outside? Good. Uh, Bryce. Bryce, what's your great, great, great grandpa's name? Oh, gosh. I'll... Don't even worry about it. What's your name? Uh, Tristan. Tristan? Oh, that's a great name. Tristan? It's Peyton. Peyton? My son's name is Peyton. What's your great, great, great grandfather's name? You have no idea. Like, his blood flows through your veins. You have no clue who he is. We're talking about three generations removed, right? What's your great, great uncle's name? You have no clue. We don't know. We, don't, we, we are so self, we don't even understand that. And yet this Jewish carpenter for three years, 2,000 years ago did something and we're gathered in a chapel for it right now. Don't you at least want to, for the rest of your life, I want you to walk around with a reasonable response to what the heck is this Christianity thing? It's everywhere, it's pervasive, it's music, it's art, it's literature. It is everywhere. I want you to reject it, understanding what it's about. I want you to accept it, understanding what it's about. 
but I don't want you to walk away and go, I don't know. I don't understand. I never heard. And so as we dive into this story, understand what, what, what underpins all of this is that you are gonna be asked to give a response to who Jesus is. And we've taken a third route, okay? Jesus literally says in scripture, you can either crown me king of your life or you can cast me out and reject me because I must be a fool or an idiot or a liar, but you, you can't be neutral. This is a true story. When I was in eighth grade, I dated a girl when I was in eighth grade. Now, that wasn't the true part of the story. You guys are like, wow, this guy. Um, I have to go back in time before that. When I was in seventh grade, I dated a girl who was in eighth grade. Let's close in prayer. Let's close in prayer. Let's just. I went to a small private school and everyone just kind of dated everyone. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Everyone, okay, it was weird. But you, you grow up with them, you're like, you do every grade, you like walk through every grade, and at some point someone had a romance with someone, so it's, a, it's very political, it's very big brother, it's very much like, okay, anyway, uh, that's private Christian school for you. Uh, if you're in one, I didn't need to explain that to you, you understand. But uh, she was a year older than me, and then she graduated, uh, eighth grade, and went on to high school. And one time, um, I was like afraid, I was, af I was still afraid of girls, you know? Like, we dated for like a year, okay? Never touched her, never hugged her, never held her hand, never anything. I was like, if you think, I feel like this is Paul in like Philippians chapter four. If any of you have reason to be a pious Pharisee in here, I have more. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even, I would date her for, two years and I would have done anything because I was so afraid of girls because they're, um, they're terrifying, right? Sometimes. <laughs> I was like, like, hi, what's your name? I'm going to leave. Um, <laughs> one day, I was talking with this girl at the marketplace. <laughs> we have one cool place in Bakersfield that everyone hangs out. So do the gangs. Okay. Um, <laughs> tell me it's not true. Do it. It's true. Okay. And so my mom dropped me off. Her mom dropped her off. And I walk up to her and she goes, I'm pregnant. No, this is not a joke. You think I'm joking? I'm not joking. And I went, I'm like going through bio class in my head and I'm like, that wasn't me. Like that, was, that was not me. I didn't do that. And I'll never forget my response, which was just to say what she said in the reverse. So when she said, I'm pregnant, I said, you're pregnant? And she, she said, sort of. And I went, that is, um, that's not an option. I, <laughs> I've never, I mean, I've had five kids. I've never ever been into an ultrasound where the doctor was like, ugh. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't know. It's not a sort of issue, you know? Like, while you might not have all the facts or you might be unaware of it, like that, that, that you either are or you aren't. And this is kind of the call of scripture. And this is the call we're gonna see right here. This is Jonah chapter one, if you guys have your Bibles. Here's what it says. Jonah chapter one, verse one. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Great means big, not great means high moral fiber, okay? Go to the big city of Nineveh and preach against it because of its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind out on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. The sailors said to one another, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what are your people? He answered them, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. In your Bibles, that word Lord there is capitalized, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. He's using the divine name of Yahweh, which is the God of the Bible, okay? So you can identify God in a lot of ways, right? He is the omnipotent creator of the universe. He is the omniscient knowledge of all knowledge. He is the alpha and the omega. But when in the, in the book of Exodus chapter three, a man named Moses approaches a burning bush where the Almighty resides, and he says, you can call me Steve, but instead of Steve, it's Yahweh. You can call me Yahweh. You may know me as Yahweh. That very word for Yahweh means being. So, so God is saying, I am all things. I am, I am what you're not. I am what you are. I am everything. I am all being. I be what I be is literally the name of God. So he says, I worship Yahweh. The God of the heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked each other, what have you done? They knew he was running away from Yahweh because he had already told them so. And so God gives them this instruction. Go to Nineveh, okay? So if you start in, um, right now I live in San Diego. So I, I live in San Diego for the last 10 years. If you were in San Diego and God told you to go to Nineveh, it would be like, if you were in like Central Valley area, okay, in Central California, okay, and God asked you to go to Tijuana and you went to Alaska, that's the, diff that's the distance between the two places that he's asked to go, between Tarshish and Nineveh, okay, what, what, it's Turkey and Spain, I don't know if you know where they are on, the, on a map, they're not the same direction. They're like this away, and they're a long away away from one another. And so Jonah is given this option. You can, you can follow what I have in store for you, or you can go against it. You can do exactly what I say, or you can go against it. And we find ourselves in the same position today, because a lot of us think that we can take some kind of a neutral stance when it comes to the Jesus question. And this is the most important question any human being can ever be asked. And this is the question I'm gonna ask you right now, and it's the question that's gonna end our weekend, and it's gonna start our weekend, and it's gonna be the focus of everything we do in here. Who is Jesus to you? And the response you're giving right now is the only inappropriate response. Right? I'm not asking you to yell it out loud, right? But this is what we tend to do. And we walk in, we might go, well, I'm just, some of you walked in here this weekend and you're like, Hume Lake is great for church people. But you might think to yourself, well, I'm just, 
I'm not religious, right? You ever heard someone say that? Or I, I think it's cool that you guys are into like all that spiritual stuff, but I'm just not really into that. I'm not a spiritual person. I'm not a religious person. And the Bible seems to, here comes some offense, call you a liar, okay? The Bible says that's not true. You're all religious. In fact, here's one thing that I love. When Jesus asked the question, he says, what's the most important commandment? Jesus asked this. This is a very important question. It's what you would have asked a rabbi back in the day to find out if you wanted to follow him. When you read the Bible, they asked Jesus, what do you think is the most important commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. He said that's the most important commandment. And we might think that's a flowery thing to say. Oh, cool. we should love the Lord our God with our, we should love, it's all about love. But that's not the premise of what he's saying. He's saying you all, every last one of you, have something that you love with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The important hinge point of that is he's saying, if you want to know what the greatest law is, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You have a God, friend. You are a worshiper. We can't help it. We are insatiably worshiping at all times. In the Garden of Eden, God made us for himself, an eternal being. So do you think that, have you ever met someone who's gotten enough love in their life that they're just done with it? Y'all ever met someone, right? I've, I've worked with high schoolers for a long time and young adults for a long time. And I've, I've had a lot of people come up to me and go, he doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't love me anymore. I don't feel like my parents care about me. I don't. But I've never once talked to someone and I'm like, what? what's up with you? And they're like, I just, I'm, I'm full. And I just don't need any more love in my life. I don't need any love from anybody else. I feel totally satisfied and, and I'm good for the rest of my life. You ever met someone like that? No, you haven't because that's not a human thing. We're insatiable. Why? Because we were made for God. And we were made for God forever, so God gave us this insatiable appetite to worship him and to love him and to explore the power of who he is and to chase after him for all eternity. God made us to not be sinful beings. The problem is in the Garden of Eden, we rebelled against God and our soul became stained then. So do you think the insatiable appetite to worship went away? No. It just shifted focus of its object. And so when God, when Jesus enters the world to redeem us, he says, y'all are already loving something with all of who you are, but it's gonna lead you to death. You see the difference? The important word is there isn't love, it's what are you gonna love? Romans 1 says it really clearly. There's are two kinds of people, those who worship the creator and those who worship created things. There's not a third category. And what the Bible calls the chasing appetite of anything other than God, they call it sin. Sin is to rebel against God, to rebel against the king. And we like to minimize it, right? Little white lies. You heard that before? It's just a little sin. Or we get into like prayer groups and we gossip about people and we're like, but it's just so that we can all pray for them. And you use like specifics and really offensive things that you say. Here's like, what's your name? Max. Max, you can come up here. Max is gonna come up here and he, let, me, let me tell you the primary problem as we finish our time here. Come right here. Are you injured? No. Oh. 
Frontier? Yeah. All right. Okay. Oh, okay. You know what, everyone? Okay. Just relax. Patriots, we're better than that, okay? We don't boo people. Maybe we do. I, don't, I haven't been there in a long time. Class of 07, what up? Okay. Um, Max. American Christianity, and I would make a guess that a lot of us in this room fall into this, because this is what I fell into. When I was your age, coming up to Hume Lake, the speaker would talk, and this is how I perceived myself and God. And if that back wall, like, if as I took every step, this was like more moral decay, like the worst people ever were on that back wall, you know? Then, and that was right, I was right here. And then like you take two steps back and these are like people who rob grandmother's bank accounts because they try to show up like the Ethiopian chief of some internet scam. I like these people, you're like, eh, they suck, like, but, but you know, they get worse. And then you keep going back and you get like, this is like murderers and then this is like genocidal maniacs like Pol Pot Mao, Hitler. And then like back here, it's like the people who pin Jesus to the cross themselves, like, you're like, oh, you guys are the worst. And so here's what we perceive ourselves as. This is why sin, particularly speaking, it's any attitude, thought, action, or deed that shows our worship of anything other than God. It's the insatiable appetite that God gave us being used on something that isn't him. For some of you, you might worship a boyfriend. You might worship a girlfriend. You might worship status. You might worship sports. You might worship success. Some of you sitting here and you're like, ooh, I'm over there. You worship the idea that you are apathetic to everything in your life. You love the fact that you're like the stoner kid who just sits there and doesn't pay attention. And let me tell you something, that is as much a neurotic behavior as the girl who wants all the attention. It's the exact same thing. It's a lack of Jesus in the place of our worship. And no one's immune to it. And you're not above it, you're not beside it, you will meet God face to face one day and it's not just the hyper-religious or the strong, militant, angry atheist that will meet him face to face. It's also the apathetic that go, I just, I didn't hate you. I just didn't follow you. And so I stood here and I was willing to understand that if that back wall was ultimate perfection, ultimate power, ultimate knowledge, that for sure God stood at least one step closer to that wall than I did to that wall. I was willing to relinquish that fact. You're there. But the more you study scripture, the more you open yourself up to the fact that what we think we know about God and who God actually is are not the same thing, the more you read and the more you understand and the more you focus on it and the more that you'll learn even this weekend, you'll figure this out. Go ahead and take a step back. Keep going. The people, right there. The people in scripture who study and understand the most about God, they say really crazy things they begin to actually associate themselves with people that you would think they're not quite as bad as. There's a guy named Isaiah, Isaiah chapter six. He sees God face to face. He sees God in his holiness. And he becomes acutely aware of like, oh, God isn't just a little bit better than me. He's not a little bit more holy than me. He's not a little bit more righteous than me. He's not slightly more moralistic. He's not slightly more powerful. He is infinitely much more that way. And this is Isaiah and he, he yells out, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I come from a people of unclean lips, for I have seen the Lord, Isaiah chapter six. And you got a guy named Paul, who literally is the reason that most of us are probably sitting here today because of his missionary journeys. 
He brags in the New Testament, and he says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He says, I am the pious one. I was a Pharisee. I didn't do anything wrong. I was perfect and blameless according to the law. And yet in Romans chapter seven, he writes this phrase. He says, I do stuff I don't wanna do, and I don't do the things that I'm supposed to do. Who can rescue me, Paul says, from this body of death? And friend, if you're gonna understand the gospel message that we're gonna talk about this weekend, you must first understand that when it comes to your relationship with God, if you are not a bought son or daughter, if you haven't given your life over to Jesus, come back here, Max. Sorry to make you walk so much. You seem pretty athletic, you know what I mean? Actually, we'd prefer if you didn't punch me, you know what I mean? It's that level of like, are you doing that on purpose or is this? No. Oh, okay. It's pretty intimidating. I don't like being on the, it's, for the record, it's sloped. It just looks like he's bigger than me. But if you want anything else this weekend that makes sense, nothing will make sense if you stand here. Worship won't make sense. Repentance won't make sense. Mercy doesn't make sense. Grace doesn't make sense. Why? Because you're right here, and I'm not that bad. And everyone in this room who thinks that they're not that bad points at someone behind them on the moralistic, decrepit meter, and they go, they're bad, not me. Don't we do that? And then like the worst person we know says, well, I might be bad, but I'm not as bad as who? Hitler. We, for whatever reason, we always, Hitler's like our absolute <laughs> pointillistic paradigm of what's evil. Friend, I want you to lean into this concept, though that you have a divine appointment with your creator. One day when you close your eyes in death, you're gonna see God face to face. And there's gonna be but one question that you have to answer with your life right now. What are you gonna do with Jesus? And the, let me help you. If you came in this weekend thinking that your answer was like ships passing in the night, that's how I'm gonna be with God. You won't. And to take it one step further to get that, you can go all the way back to that back wall next. Without Jesus, Chris Hilkin, pastor, family man, dad, uh, Capricorn, I don't know. I, <laughs> Enneagram, eight. Um, I, don't, uh, I don't believe in dark magic. Uh, Gryffindor. So <laughs> this is our natural position with God. Our natural position with God, the Bible doesn't give us permission to stand any closer to him. The Bible says this, if you've ever committed a sin in your life, that's thought, word, action, attitude, or deed, including your nature, the Bible says if you're born human, you've already participated in the rebellion of the universe with Adam and Eve. So you came out of the womb stained with sin. And not a little bit stained, not near God. We're right here. The Bible literally puts us on par with the people who nailed Jesus to the cross and it says, if you're guilty and stumbling in one part of the law, you're guilty of breaking the whole thing. You see, if you can start this weekend by understanding the brokenness and the distance between you and God without Jesus as advocate, everything else will make sense. Because you'll sit here and you'll say things like, woe is me, who can rescue me from this body of death? I need grace to be saved through faith, not of myself, not by my works, because I can't boast in it. I'm not capable of doing anything on my own. I need the the attitude of Jesus Christ, who gave up everything in response to me, Philippians chapter two. These are the things that I need. I have no grace on my own. I have no goodness on my own, Philippians chapter three. All I am is broken, Romans chapter three, verse 10. 
I am not righteous, not even a little bit. I don't seek the Lord. I don't seek after. Every word I say is like poison, venom out of my mouth. See, then the gospel of Jesus can get a hold of us because it sees us how we truly are, broken, stained, destined for hell, destined for eternal separation away from God. And you might be like, I don't know about the whole hell thing. I already told you I was going to offend you, so you can't get mad. It's like, that's how it works. Max, wherever you see, you can go sit down. But here's what I want you to do as we close up. I want you to just become aware of the fact that there is a God and that you sin by your very nature and then we perpetuated every day by the things that we think and the things that we do and the things that we say and the way that we act and the attitude that we possess. We make it worse and worse and worse. And the Bible makes it very clear. What you've earned by those things, sin has earned you something and it's an eternity separated from God. And just like Jonah, God presents us kind of with this option of which we can't take a third one. You can't be kind of pregnant. There is no Switzerland in the conversation of Jesus you are either part of his army or you're a part of the other one. And this vision of Jesus we have of kind of being groovy and laid back and kicking it and rainbow holding, sheep bearing, dress wearing, harp playing Jesus, it, 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 it doesn't fit inside the context of understanding that if you have rebelled against God in your sin without Jesus, that is not the version of Jesus that you will meet someday. It is the version of Jesus that has died on the cross for your sins who has made a way, but if you haven't surrendered your life to him, you and him are not good. You are at war with the Almighty and the Almighty doesn't lose. His desire, John tells us so clearly, is that all people would come to him with a knowledge of him, with repentance towards him. But make no mistake, our God cannot be mocked and his justice will prevail in the end. We begin with the hard truth, which is that sin pervades the hearts of every person ever. What are you gonna do with Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, for your grace, for your mercy, for your forgiveness, we stand before you, and I just, it doesn't make sense to me. How does a God who's so perfect who could have looked at the world and said, you guys rebelled, man. I, I, I made Eden, I made man and woman, I made relationship. <clears throat> I gave you food, I gave you water, I gave you everything you could ever need. And you spit on my face and said, I wanna be God, I want your job. God, with the brokenness of my heart, with the sin that pervades in my life, there's no way that I would respond to that level of rebellion with anything other than death and destruction, but Jesus, you responded by saying, I'm gonna redeem this. I wanna fix this. But God, you also know that there's people in this room who are still participants in the rebellion who have not moved into a position of being your children yet. That we presently sit as objects of your wrath, a wrath that is holy and perfect and purifying and intense but with a hope knowing that you have called and beckoned us and invited us to move from that state into being your children, your sons and your daughters. And God, as that's made more clear, 
this weekend, would you soften our hearts no matter where we are? And may we just move out of the realm of apathy of being sort of Jesus followers or, or sort of engaging in the story. Would we at least have an adult, honest, reasonable answer to the question, what are you gonna do with Jesus? In your name we pray, amen.